Welcome to Mind, Body, and Business, a podcast that explores topics, perspectives, and actionable insight for a strong mind and healthy body, along with empowering conversations to help you handle your business. I am your host, Maria Moore, here to talk about many things in this episode. Joining me is Lisa Woolfork. She is the founder of Black Women Stitch, and she's going to be talking specifically about finding outlets to mentally deal with racial tension and the importance of building community. And you may be wondering, oh, Maria, this is a fitness podcast. What does this have to do with fitness? You know, I'm going to tie it together because we take a holistic approach towards being well from the inside out. And she is going to share some amazing insight on the power of hobbies and doing things for joy and not necessarily for money and how that makes a positive contribution to your wellness journey. Before I let her on into the room, I want to remind you to do your mind, body and business check in. If you are new to the podcast, we encourage this every seven days. What are you doing for your mind, body and business? How are you moving with intention to improve or enhance your mental health? Does that mean get into bed earlier, reading more books, meditating, writing out your goals? Uh, What are you doing for your body? Are you drinking enough water? Have you done all of your health checkups for the year? Have you gone to the dentist? Are you stretching? Are you exercising? And then for your business, not necessarily, you know, as a business owner, but you know, if you are an entrepreneur and own a small business or big business, you should be setting goals there. But handling your business can also mean, you know, your relationships with people, with money. So think about one thing that you can do in each of these areas. It doesn't have to be huge and extravagant and move with intention to get it done over the next seven days. Now, uh, time to welcome my guest, Miss Lisa Woolfork. She has a wonderful story, a beautiful vision, and I am so excited to welcome Lisa to the Mind, Body, and Business Podcast. Hello. Hey, how are you? Oh, you sound so good and you look even better. How are things? Things are amazing. I woke up this morning looking forward to this conversation and look at your beautiful background, all those colors. You have every color of thread. Are, are you like in a basement, a big warehouse? It's the basement. It is the basement okay. of our house. That's right. Oh. The washer and dryer is right over there. <laughs> I know it is just so easy to get lost in all of that. It looks so fun. It is such a privilege to get lost in it because most of the time I have other things I need to do. And it's like, oh, I wish I could sew this blank and blank. But no, I have to get on the microphone. I got to record this or I've got to work on editing that or I've got to make these socials or I've got, you know, having a podcast about sewing is one of the surest ways to not sew as much as you want. (laughs) (laughs) Because you're just talking about something that you love. Man, this is so awesome. And so if you're listening to the audio of this podcast on Apple, Spotify, wherever, you got to come to the social media page at MBB Pod so you can check out Lisa's background. But let me give you the proper introduction because you popped in the room and we just all connecting girl i love it first of all props to you for your wonderful setup and the amazing sound and the awesome visual as well thank you so much for your invitation i I feel like i had to come correct i was like wait a minute i'm talking to maria mortar day like (laughs) any old kind of way i got i want it to sound good and look good and you know we've got a sense of quality 
I love it. So Lisa Woolfork, she is the creator, the founder of Black Women Stitch. It is a sewing group where Black Lives Matter and their vision centers around Black women, girls and femmes and sewing while promoting the principles of Black liberation, radical self-love and social justice. And one thing that I love about the conversations on this podcast is when you think about fitness, some people limit that conversation to just exercise and diet. But it is also how we are feeding our minds, the environments we're putting ourselves in, how we're pursuing our interests, how we are representing ourselves and our culture. I thank you so much for bringing me in. And I absolutely agree that there are lots of ways when we think about what it means to be healthy. And I Mm -hmm. think that that requires a holistic approach, which is that's the whole person, not just, you know, their their test results or their measurements or their whatever, breaking us down into our little components. It's about who we are as whole people. And that makes it, I think, much more effective um, yeah. when we worked, when we think about the whole person rather than just their parts. And, you know, I was reading the story about how you started Black Women's Stitch, founded in 2018, and the project grew in the wake of your trauma as a Black Lives Matter Charlottesville organizer in the summer of 2017. You had back-to-back incidences that you found yourself in the middle of. And what I thought was so profound about your experience is that you thought you had community among other women who happened to be white, and you found out those connections weren't as strong as you thought they were. Can you walk me through that experience and how you started the organization? Absolutely. Thank you so much. I am a sixth generation sewist. That means that my grandmother's grandmother sewed. Mm. And I wanted nothing to do with it until I started graduate school and I needed something to have as a stress reliever. And so I started sewing. It was much easier to sew a duvet cover than it was to write a dissertation. Yeah. Um, (laughs) Did ultimately write the dissertation. But as I was going, I definitely found that sewing became um, something that I just absolutely loved. And it was as if it was waiting for me to pick it up. Mm-hmm. Like the ancestors looking over my shoulder, like she'll get it. She mm-hmm. she'll get it. She don't think she want it, but she'll get it. And yeah. then when I did, I just fell in love. So I had been sewing, um, as you said, and I wouldn't call them even multiracial um, communities. They were most they were white communities. These were older mm. white women, um, many of whom closer to my mother's age than to mine. Um, and and yet it was fine. It was fine. I thought it was fine. I would go to these events. I would be the lonely only. But that's something many of us are used to. If we've attended predominantly white schools or whatever, you kind of get accustomed to um, being one in a crowd. And this did not this was fine until it wasn't. And so for me, I was so appalled by the white supremacist incursions that had come through Charlottesville, Virginia, in the wake of the city council's decision to remove one of our, as I call them, Civil War participation trophies. Mm -hmm. These are one of the many thousands of statues that were put up to honor the Confederacy after the South lost the war, but won the battle for control. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we, um, our city voted to remove the statues. I had advocated to remove them because I thought it was racist and unhelpful and harmful. And then a bunch of white supremacists came to town every month throughout the summer of 2017 to defend these horrible things. Yeah. Um, and so we had a rally, a Klan rally or some type of Confederate meetup 
in the streets like almost every month. We had one in May, in June, July, the Klan came through. And then in August, we had the largest white nationalist rally in modern history to that date. Yeah. Um, these are the same people that scaled um, the walls of the U.S. Capitol and ended up landing in prison eventually. But um, this was something that we faced first here in Charlottesville. And it was terrible. It was brawls in the street. And ultimately, a young woman, Heather Heyer, was murdered by a white supremacist during a car attack. And I was there at the intersection of that car attack. And so my spouse and I had nightmares for weeks. We would it was just a difficult time to have faced something so violent and horrifying. And so I went to an a quilting event that was hosted by some of the same women that I had known for maybe 15 years. Uh, when my baby was born, they gave me a quilt. When my father died unexpectedly, they gave me a quilt. And so we had a, a kind of a culture of kind of supporting each other through difficult moments. What I discovered then was my surviving a white supremacist terror attack did not count as a difficult moment for some of them. After that event, there, it, there were all sorts of, um, I was told that Charlottesville was not to be discussed. And so, but I'm sure it I, was a hurtful experience for you after bonding with these women for more than a decade and to see their response at a time where you would need them to rally around you and you didn't get that. There was always, there was often microaggressions and I didn't say anything because I didn't, I didn't want to make my own experience worse. And I knew anything I said wasn't going to change who they were. So I just said, you know, I'm just, I'm going to, I'm going to um, eat the fish and leave the bones. That's mm. what I had been doing for many, many years. And it worked out fine. I'm also a professor of black studies. And mm. I've been doing that for almost 25 years, the entire time they knew me. And it made me wonder, who was I in their imagination? Did you feel like you gave them too much credit after the fact? That's a good one. Yes, that I, I should have known better. I think that that definitely was definitely it, that I should have known better. And I should not have had such a high expectation. But at the same time, I think I was very much vibing with the eat the fish take the bones. There's a lot about this that I don't like, but there's more that I do. I like to have this uninterrupted time to do some sewing. I like that all I have to do is show up and do it. And it's not a big deal. I don't have to do any extra work. So I was willing to kind of to pay the sacrifice in terms of not being my full self in exchange for convenience and ease. Yeah. Not all situations and relationships and environments are going to be ideal. So you do have to say, OK, well, how does this serve me? How does yeah. this not serve me? And what what weighs more? But in certain situations, there are non-negotiables, no matter how good it feels. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And so what I ultimately learned was that I was unwilling to audition my humanity in exchange for something I love. Wow. And it made me realize that that's kind of what I had been doing all this time. Mm -hmm. And I also realized that because sewing is so important to me and because I love it so much, it really is um, one of my love languages. It's how I express my creativity, but also how I make the clothes to go on my body yeah. and how I made the clothes for my spouse and my kids. And it was too precious to me. I could not sit and sew with people who did not believe that my children's lives had value. My origin, my home, my ancestral home in sewing six generation deep was of black women. And yeah. that's when I decided this group wasn't going to be um, 
for all women of color. It was not going to be for activists. It was going to be black women stitch so we could be black from a distance. This is not an all lives matter sewing space. This is for black women. And if that is something that resonates with you and this is something that you identify with and as you are welcome. And all are welcome to listen to the podcast and all that stuff. But it just felt so it felt like coming home and building what I needed through the grief and through rebuilding is building what I needed and finding out that some other folks needed it too. tell me what the organization is doing now and how are you recruiting folks, especially women like me who have a hard time threading a needle? Uh, how are you bringing these women in? Because, you know, something that's so interesting. I, I did a podcast episode about the importance of hobbies and dedicating time to something that you would do for free, that you yes. did just get brings you joy and how important that is. And I just think about your experience being around older white women. Not very often do we find people our peers pursuing hobbies, especially like if you're younger, like I'm in my 40s now, but I don't see a lot of women in their 20s and 30s just doing things that they enjoy. It's always get to the bag and this and that. But it's really important to have those hobbies because it's such a huge deposit into your mental well-being and your emotional well-being as well. You know, I feel like you are preaching to the choir and vice versa. I think that sewing and all kind of like handwork, like knitting, crochet, all of these do things for your mental ability to learn. There's a whole type of learning that's based in kinetic learning, moving your body. And so that kinetic movement of knitting, of stitching, of hand embroidery, of machine sewing, of studying a project and moving through all the different phases to completion, that also gives you something in terms of a certain type of mental sharpness and dexterity. I think that there's something in knitting and in working with your hands that does that as well, Mm -hmm. um, that unlocks that for you. So Black Women's Stitch is not like a membership organization. I see it as as a larger, wider project. And I think you're already in it. So congratulations. I just need to get <laughs> I can do some friendship bracelets, girl. I can tie some knots. <laughs> and but I'm open to learning. I do feel badly that we have gotten to this age or this time where folks are commodifying themselves yeah. in ways like, oh, I want to be a brand or I am a brand. And I find that very tragic. I find that brands are the vocabulary of capitalism. They're not yeah. the vocabulary of liberation. You know, Sony is a brand. Frito-Lay and, and Coca-Cola are brands. But people are more than that. We are yeah. more than that. We are better than that. We are limitless. Mm-hmm. But unfortunately, we have gotten accustomed to thinking of ourselves or too many have I don't um, as a brand that you forget that you're a person for me hobbies are essential because it's a form of active rest at least that's how it is for me it's a kind of active rest and in the same way you have younger folks who are out there hustling and getting the bag and doing this What are they doing? Like the hustle and grind or I got to grind, grind, grind. Like, you know what happens? Don't grind. Do you know what Mm -hmm. happens when the things that get ground, they get pulverized, Mm -hmm. they get obliterated. Like, don't do that to yourself because the world is already prepared to chew us up and spit us out. Let's not make it easier for them. That is a whole word right there. I think that I was very fortunate because I'm at the end of the day, I really am an academic right to college, right to graduate school and right out of graduate school into the job I have right now. One thing that we did have to change and shift is that in the academy, we are taught that our jobs aren't a job, that it's a calling. 
And it's powerful, Maria, but it's also dangerous because mm-hmm. if my job is a calling, I don't care how much you pay me. Right. Mm. If it's a calling, I don't care if I'm making less than a white man hired after me. Like we're not supposed to ask these questions. We're not supposed to talk about how much you make and who has this and who doesn't have that. Right. And so one of the things that I also believe is that institutions don't care about you. If you work at an institution and you die on a Friday, Next Monday, your job, they're very sad on Saturday, but on Monday, your job is being advertised. I've seen it happen. And so for me, one thing that I am happy about is that I always saw it as a job. I love the job. I love the students. I enjoy the work. I feel honored by it. I know that being a professor is a high prestige job, even if it's not necessarily well paid, but it's a high prestige job. So I don't I don't ignore that. And because of that, I feel like it is my responsibility to speak out about issues and questions that other people might not be able to speak out about and to use whatever platform I have for that. And then one last thing I'll add, and I want to hear what you think about this. I know you might know Audre Lorde, poet and activist, black feminist, lesbian thinker, who is just so incredible. She had this wonderful theory about the master's tools. And Mm -hmm. she said the master's tools will never dismantle the master's house. Mm. And it's an example of how just because one is marginalized and you get power, if you use power in the same way that the master would use it, what are you creating that's new? You're not creating anything new. We imagine the master's tools as capitalism, patriarchy, white supremacy, heteronormativity. All of these things are tools that the master of the social environment that we live in have created for their own benefit and not for the marginalized. I also am thinking about these master's tools as actual things. And so for me, I'm seeing needle and thread as antithetical to master's tools. I see so much symbolism. And when you talk about physically sewing, creating the life that you want, stitching that together, really understanding who you are and what you want, because I feel like we just drift so far from that. I love the way you think, but I also realize that to be successful and to find peace, it also requires you to do some practical things. What are some habits that you embrace on the daily, the weekly, like how you look at goals and how you pursue them. What's your morning routine look like? What are practical ways that you make contributions to your mental health? I start every morning by listening to a morning prayer. But I do like to have a moment where I just start the day with just, thank you, God. Mm-hmm. I also am a firm believer in planners. So I use a quarterly planner that lets me plan out the week ahead of time, as well as what's going to happen every day. And sometimes I fall off of that. And sometimes things get so busy. But I do find that when I'm writing things down, it's almost like writing things down by hand gives me the same kinetic benefit as hand sewing. There is power in taking pen to paper. I always tell people when it's written, it's real. I agree. I think that there is something about the written word. And I also I do a combination like I definitely have to put things on my phone because it can install reminders and the paper planner doesn't do that. But also, I think you can develop a hybrid, which I feel like I've done. I have a very full Google calendar. There's something about writing things down 
And that's really always unlocked a different path of thinking for me. Looking at your physical environment and how organized your background is, it seems like you've never had an issue with it. But what is the importance of physical organization for you? Physical organization sets you up to be mentally free. Mm. I always know when I'm not feeling well or when I've when I'm doing too much. People are always like, oh, listen, you do too much. And sometimes I'm not sure if you're this way, but I am what has been described as a high capacity individual. I just keep going. And and sometimes I don't want to tell people if I'm struggling because I'm afraid they'll tell me to stop. That is never what I want to (laughs) hear. I want to hear. Why don't you take a nap and I will help you? Like, that's what I really want to hear. I don't want to hear, don't do it. For me, it becomes critical when I look around my environment and I see big piles. Clearly, I meant to do that and didn't. And Mm -hmm. so I try to not have piles, even if I have a lot of stuff. If the visual field is well organized, so I have a whole section over here with my sewing notions because I have labels on them and put them in ABC order, I know what I, I know what's there. I do find myself having trouble getting rid of things at times, but because I have a system, there's almost always a place for everything. There's a lot of stuff in here and then some friends are like, oh, you know what you should get? I'm like, girl, don't tell me. Where um, are you buying me an addition for my house? I love it. So before we uh, wrap things up, give us more information about Black Women Stitch. If Black women listening who are trying to make a connection with you in that space, what I want to ask you is the steps that people can take, practical steps that people can take to find a hobby, whether it's sewing or something else, and to really embrace it and dedicate that time to make that mental deposit um, and so that it can benefit them in other areas of their life. What advice do you have for people, for the person that's super busy, for the person who's really good at it, but scared they can't make money at it, for the person who's been feeling drawn to it interest wise and they don't know their next steps? What advice do you have? I would say put yourself on the top of your to do list. Mm. You make time for everybody else and everything else for everybody else. Make the time for you. Put yourself on your list. If you are too busy to care well for yourself, you are not serving yourself well. What is the point of all this busyness if you cannot pause and breathe and relish and enjoy the work that you have worked so hard to create, the life you are working so hard to build, what's the point of building it if you refuse to live it? For that person, I would say, put yourself on your list and carve out some time for yourself, even if it's an hour, um, an hour every other day, an Mm -hmm. hour a week, and then you build up to more. And it doesn't have to be jumping on the sewing machine. It could just be watching videos, reading tutorials, thinking about what you want to do first, getting yourself prepared. For the person who thinks that they might be good at it, but can't make money from it, I would ask why I would ask you to ask yourself, why do you think your hobby must make money in order to be valid? Mm. Why must your hobby make money in order to be valid? This is something that we are there. We have to dismantle the internalized capitalism that says we are only worth what we produce. That is something that's of special import for Black people. 
this idea that somehow because we come from a people who had been commodified and mm-hmm. treated as commodities, we do not need to commodify ourselves with this hustle and grind mentality. I just feel like it's another version of the American dream where all you have to do is work hard and you'll succeed. And we know that not to be the case. We have evidence of that not being the case. Instead, I would advise seeking your joy and having it be truly priceless, prioritizing that, you know, you can do other things to make money if that is your priority and your goal. But if your goal is discovering your happiness and tapping into your own self and your own needs, why should that also generate revenue? Um, And so that's one thing I would say. Um, The third one was, I'll use myself as an example. I was once paying a lady who did a great job, a nice amount of money to do my hair. And one day I was on YouTube. I said, let me try this out. And I got so many compliments on my hair. I did all of this myself. And you know what I told my husband? I said, I want uh, a mannequin head with some real black girl hair so I could practice other styles because it gave me so much joy. That was one thing for me because I've, I've been paying someone to do my yes. and I'm not saying I'll never go to the salon and get my hair not professionally done, but it was for a period of maybe two years. Where mm-hmm. I was just like, mm, that looks interesting. And I just never dabbled in it. The same thing what I was saying about sewing. You know, it's interesting, but I don't know. I don't know but, if I could be good at it. And maybe this is the thing. How good do you have to be? Right. Can you I mean, you, Maria, you did a beautiful job with your hair. It looks wonderful. Does that mean that in order to really capitalize on your gift, you have to go out there and start a hair business now? Are you supposed to like hold up a sign and say, well, I'm doing my own hair, but how am I securing the bag? Like, that's that's not at all what you need to do. You did something that brought a smile to your heart. You didn't do it even necessarily to save money. You did it because you thought you could and you were curious. I don't think we give ourselves enough permission to be curious and to follow our curiosity. Curiosity cannot be monetized, nor should it be. Like, you know, the word monetized at one point was never a verb, right? It was never Mm -hmm. a verb. It was never a thing that somehow in order to get value out of, it must be exchanged for money. That is the ultimate victory of capitalism, which I might add, doesn't give a shit about anybody. And Mm -hmm. just secret, spoiler alert, capitalism requires failure. Just so you know, people have to be poor in order for capitalism to thrive. Yeah. If everybody, if everybody has all of their needs met and are not competing over resources, guess what? That's not capitalism anymore. Mm. If everybody has their needs met, that's not capitalism. Capitalism is not designed to meet the needs of that's not what it is. Mm-hmm. It's an economic system designed to benefit those who can most capitalize on it. So you don't have to turn your hobby into revenue stream in order for it to have value. That the value is the joy it brings your life. That is the joy that is, that is the value that is more permanent. That is the value that can help shape your image of yourself to make you happier, to make you more free. Mm -hmm. That is priceless for real. You know, especially the things that are dear to our hearts. Lisa, you are the friend that every woman needs. I'm just getting to a place and I try to be transparent 
because a part of me feels like, you know, I don't know if you feel this way sometimes. It's like you're seen as a leader and yes. you feel like when you present yourself, it needs to be in a way that appears that you have it all together. And mm-hmm. I, I struggle with that a lot. One of the things that I take a lot of pride in is that I'm a debt-free millionaire. Wonderful. I paid off my student loans, my credit cards, my cars paid off. I paid off my previous home. I started a business and I monetized it. <laughs> and <laughs> I no, you're to monetize your business, girl. Right. Monetize. Yeah. What's also very humbling. And I, you know, I needed to hear what you were saying just now, because a lot of my goals and it's gotten better now have been attached to you got to cut me a check. You got to cut me a check. And a lot of that has to do with past trauma of not feeling appreciated and undervalued. So I'm just like, you know, I'm I'm looking at the reception of money as connected to my value. Of course. But lately I have been gaining a greater understanding of the value of hobbies. And as I get older, as I'm getting closer to 50 years old, really understanding the value of time and making sure I'm dedicating that time that just pure joy. And a lot of the things that bring me pure joy aren't necessarily tied to a lot of money. And that's okay, because if I measure my joy in that moment, it's so much more valuable to me. And just remember to celebrate yourself, celebrate all that you have done and the way that you are helping us um, to think through these things in ways that are holistic, that we think about ourselves as whole people and not just workers, not just moms or wives or sisters or daughters or however we're positioned in the society, but who we were when we first arrived on this planet and that that same potential is still there, you know, Mm -hmm. and we convert on it every single day. Um, And so I just wish you such great success and such great joy. And in the same way that you say that you are a debt-free millionaire, I would love for you to think about what does it mean to be free of any mental debts to capitalism that try to tell you that you still somehow owe somebody something because you owe nobody nothing. Mm-hmm. You owe nothing to anybody. You are. I just, I just want you to relish in all that you are and all that you've done, because it's so. It's a joyous. It's a joyous occasion. It is, and thank you so much for saying that. And I really appreciate all of the insight. This is like a counseling session. How can folks stay connected with you, Lisa Wolfork of Black Women Stitch? Uh, Want to connect with you personally? Listen to your podcast because you're a whole lot of fun. And also, of course, get more information about Black Women Stitch. So you can find out what's happening with Black Women Stitch on blackwomenstitch.org. Um, we've got some some stories up there. We've got some recent um, awards and nominations so people can look at. So check that out. You can find the Stitch Please podcast wherever you get your podcast, Apple, Spotify, Pandora, etc. And new episodes drop every Wednesdays. We are very active on socials with um, very often posting on Instagram and Facebook and on TikTok, where I sometimes do lives on both platforms. And we have our major fundraiser coming out right now. It's the Black Women Stitch Wall Calendar. And the wall calendar is great because it has all this wonderful original Black themed art that's related to sewing. But the dates on the calendar are very much a reflection of my own scholarly interests and research in questions of Black women's liberation, sewing history, Black women's history. So you will find dates on this calendar that you will not find anywhere else. 
Um, these are occasions that are special to us. Um, and so it's a nice bit of a reminder that Black history is being made every day. Um, and so we invite folks to check out that calendar and you can find out more information at blackwomenstitch.bigcartel site. I can't stop smiling. I just feel the energy through the computer. Thank you so much for this conversation, Lisa. Continue, continue blessings to you. And I look forward to staying connected. Thank you, Maria. And thank you, Jahi, for the invitation. This has been the delight of my afternoon. Thank you. Awesome. Mine as well. Thank you.